God gave three pictures to encourage us to lean on Him. Picture of a remnant of Israel. Picture of a righteous king. Picture of a signal to draw the nation. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you are not strong, and I'll be your friend, and I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Many of you will recognize those are the lyrics from the song, Lean On Me. Well, most of us can probably agree that sometimes in our lives we all have pain, we all have sorrow. Just look at the world around us. Is it not pain and suffering, the war that is going on in Ukraine right now? It is not sorrow that 27 people die in a bus accident being transported from Guiyang to a quarantine facility. I'm not sure how true it is that there are always going to be tomorrow, but that is the hope I think most people want to have. It sounds like a noble idea that you can lean on me when you're not strong so I can help carry you. Because one day I'm going to need to lean on you to carry me. Sounds like a good idea, especially when it's put in a song to a catchy tune, right? But is it really? Or is it maybe just a disguise for self-reliance? What happens if both persons are not strong? What if a whole community is not strong? A whole city? a whole nation, our world, are we then without help? And if leaning on one another or trusting oneself is not the answer, then what is? Since we're here at church, most of us know what the church answer would be, right? Lean on God. Even if we truly want to lean on God, what does that mean? How does that happen? So today we're going to look into the Bible, and I believe God gave three pictures to encourage us to lean on Him. God gave three pictures to encourage us to lean on Him. Well, before I keep going, it doesn't feel complete with my, without my usual greeting. So, 弟兄姊妹和朋友们平安. Peace to you, friends and members. 
My name is Luke. It is a privilege to share God's word with you today. And today we'll go from Isaiah chapter 9 all the way through Isaiah chapter 12. Don't worry, we will not read through all of it. Um, however, it will be helpful to have your copy of the Bible out if you have one with you. Or you can take some note on your bulletin and go back to, and read through those chapters again this week. Isaiah chapter 9 to 12. We will focus mainly on Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20 to chapter 11, verse 16, which is about God's encouragement, about God's encouragement. I will walk quickly through Isaiah chapter 9 to 10, uh, verse 19, to help us see why God needs to give those encouragement. And in chapter 12, there is a response to the fulfillment of those encouragement. So if you have a copy of the Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8, and that's where we will start. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you know, don't worry. You can just listen and follow along, and I'll walk us through those passages. So Isaiah is a prophet that delivered God's message to his people in the Old Testament. And God's people at the time are the descendants of Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. So these Israelites during Isaiah's time were split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. What we'll notice from chapter 9 and 10 is that during Isaiah's time, God's people and the world then is in some sense still very similar to our time and our world now. They leaned on and trusted many things apart from God just like maybe many of us. Isaiah chapter 9, 13, he says, The people did not turn to him, nor inquire of the Lord a host. You see, the problem that people during Isaiah's time have is the same as the problem many of us have. That we think our abilities, resources, power, and authority are from ourselves, to our own credit. We think our abilities, resources, power, and authority are from ourselves. We fail to recognize or realize that many times all these are mere tools in the hand of God. That abilities, resources, powers, and authority are tools that God can use to accomplish His purposes. And many times even evil, which do not originate from God, He can use for His good. So, what is God doing? You know, let's take a step back and think about the state of the audience that Isaiah is speaking to. Isaiah is speaking to the Israelites in Judah at that time. They are facing the northern kingdom, threatening to attack them. Now God tells them through Isaiah that God is going to use Assyria, another powerful nation, to remove the threat of the northern kingdom. But Assyria is going to devastate Judah as well in the end. I think it's right that the people are in distress, they're in darkness, they're in gloom and anguish. And we read, we read the last time at the end of Isaiah chapter 8 that they are being told their nation will be devastated, will be destroyed, and their time will be tough. So what is God doing? I think God through Isaiah is giving the Israelites pictures of what the future will be like to encourage them. 
to encourage them in this difficult time and to send a signal to the nations to lean on him. So like I mentioned before, because of our pride and our arrogance, because of our world's pride and arrogance, there's also going to be distress and darkness and that we are going to experience gloom and anguish. But here's the but, right? But we can know through the Bible what God is doing and there is hope. If you are a believer, do you know that God has shown us the future? That he has shown us the future? Not only has God shown us the future, but now in the New Testament time, he has already fulfilled some of his promises spoken in Isaiah. And it is meant to encourage us and give us hope in the midst of difficult time, just like the Israelites that Isaiah was speaking to. So let's continue and look at the main section of the passage for today, Isaiah chapter 10, starting at verse 20 to the end of chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 10, starting at verse 20. This section is printed in our bulletin, so you need that. God gave three pictures to encourage us to lean on him. God gave three pictures to encourage us to lean on. And these three pictures or three images we will also use as our outline for today. So the first picture, picture of a remnant of Israel. A picture of a remnant of Israel from chapter 10, verse 20 to 34. The second picture, picture of a righteous king. Picture of a righteous king from chapter 11, verse 1 to 9. And the third picture, picture of a signal to draw the nation. Picture of a signal to draw the nations. That's chapter 11, verse 10 to 16. So let's look at this first picture that God gave the Israelites through Isaiah. Chapter 10, verse 20. I'm going to start reading for us, starting there. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck him. The, the survivor of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. So, right away, Isaiah gives the Israel this picture of a remnant of Israel. So in that day, or something that is in the future, but will surely come, a remnant, you know, a remnant means a part or a quantity that is left over after a greater part is destroyed. And our verse actually explained there, it says survivors. So this idea of the survivors. We get the idea that this is a smaller group, but it is a group nonetheless of people. And right away, Isaiah tells us why. Why God is allowing this destruction of his people. It's so that they will no longer lean on others, but lean on the Lord. They'll no longer lean on others, but lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. He says, in that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. That this small minority, a remnant, will return to God. So let me continue in verse 22. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. 
destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decree in the midst of all the earth. So who is this destruction decreed by? It's decreed by the Lord. And he is righteous or just in doing so, our verse tells us. In this case, using it to purify a people that will lean on him, right? He has a purpose for this destruction. Let's keep going in verse 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end. My anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip, as when he struck Median at the rock of Or, and his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will, be, will depart from your shoulder, and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. So, even though the Israelite will be attacked and struck by the Assyrians, they need not be afraid or lose hope because this destruction will end. The burden of Assyria will be removed like a yoke that is broken off, he says. As we continue from verse 28 to 32, it is a picture of the advancing Assyrian army marching closer and closer to Jerusalem and naming many cities along the way. I'm going to skip down to verse 32 and continue there. This very day he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord of hosts will lob the bowl with terrifying power. The great and heights will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So, even though Assyrians will get all the way to Nob, Nob is a city just north east of Jerusalem, it will not overtake Jerusalem. It will stop. But instead, God, the majestic one with terrifying power, will eventually cut down Assyria like cutting down a large tree. So, what is the purpose of telling the Israelites that there will be a remnant after the invasion, after the invasion of the Assyrians. I think first it is to encourage them and to give them hope that even while knowing great destruction will happen, they will not be completely destroyed. But secondly, I believe it shows the grace of God to keep a remnant that will lean on the Lord. It shows the grace of God in the midst of these destructions, I'm sure it's easy to think that everything will just be destroyed, that nothing will be left. God was telling the Israel that there will be a remnant of Israel. If you remember from last time, God even made Isaiah name his oldest son, Sher Jeshub, right? The name literally means a remnant will return. This remnant is a tangible display of God's grace. Many times in the Old Testament, we tend to see, just see this picture of God as a warrior God, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord God of the armies, 
we see his zeal for righteousness, his zeal for his glory, that he will punish, he will judge, he will cut down and destroy the wicked and the arrogant. But do we realize that behind this fierce love is his tremendous grace to bring about a remnant that still belongs to him? That behind this fierce love is his amazing grace. So first, we should be encouraged when the greater environment feels like it is being destroyed. We should have hope that he preserved us as a remnant. Yes, our world may feel chaotic, may feel disorderly, but he remains faithful to preserve us. Second, I think this grace shown by God is the grace we need to show toward other believers as well. How often, maybe in our zealousness to defend truth, we destroy perhaps an entire group of people. I can think of how we treat maybe other churches that are not like ours a little differently. I can think specifically Maybe many of us have been hurt or confused by churches with a Pentecostal or Lingampai background. I know it might be easy to just generalize and think those Pentecostal churches are dangerous, so, so just don't go near them. Unintentionally, we might have passed judgment on an entire group of people instead of just judging the issues. These Pentecostal churches generally have a heavier emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, because maybe the Holy Spirit resides within a believer, it gets confused with emotions, which also resides in a person. Some focuses on the gifts of the Spirit. For example, that a person should seek to speak in tongue or should seek to perform miraculous healings. I mean, these things are things we do need to be careful of. But I want to say, let's be gracious. Let's be gracious. God left the remnant even when he had the right to destroy everyone. So we may very well have brothers and sisters in these Pentecostal churches. Let's be gracious in expressing concern of overemphasis on emotions and expression of the Spirit. And let's also be gracious in accepting criticism and concerns for maybe a Baptist church like ours, with perhaps an overemphasis on knowledge and obeying rule. So let's be gracious. I know this can be a sensitive topic, so please, if I make something more confusing, please come to me and talk to, or maybe talk to another person about it. But for now, Let's move on to the second picture that God gave. After everything is cut down, like a forest being laid bare by an axe, there are just tree stumps everywhere, right? From the stumps, there comes something amazing. So let's read starting in chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide dispute by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leper shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calves together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water cover the sea. I think this is a picture of the righteous king and his kingdom. A picture of the righteous king and his kingdom. Have you seen a bamboo shoot that comes out of the ground? Maybe in one of our complexes? It breaks the ground and shoots up. So chapter 11 verse 1 says, There will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. But what it means is, out of the lineage of Jesse, Jesse is King David's father, the shoot will be a descendant of David. The shoot will be a king because we see that he will rule. Verse 4 and verse 5, if you look there, we see he will rule by judging and deciding for his people with righteousness and faithfulness. What else we know about this king? It says in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord will be upon him. But this is pointing to Jesus Christ. Pointing to Jesus. This is why the Gospel according to Matthew started out with the genealogy of Jesus. It is important that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy and is the line of Jesse, or the descendant of Jesse and King David. This is also why Matthew described in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and come to rest on Jesus. Again, fulfilling this prophecy of Isaiah 11, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Jesus. As we keep reading, we see that this rule by Jesus is not all during his first coming. How do we know? Well, we see descriptions of things that hasn't happened yet, right? Instead of uh, predatory animals hunting their prey, we see this picture of wolf dwelling with lamb, leper lying down with goat, calf and lion together, leading by a little child. We also see pictures of children playing near cobra and adder. Adder is a viper or a venomous snake. I don't know about you, I would not let my children play close to poison snakes like cobras and vipers. So what is this picture instead? That these Predator and snakes shall not hurt or destroy. 
Some scholars argue that this is also talking about predatory and powerful nations like Assyria would no longer hurt or destroy other nations like Israel or God's people. That the whole earth will be renewed with the full knowledge of the Lord, with the full intention of God's original design for the world. I believe this is speaking about the new heaven and the new earth still in our future. At that time, at Jesus' second coming, he will rule fully as the king over his kingdom. Again, what is the purpose of this picture of the righteous king? King Jesus in the kingdom that he will reign, renew with the full knowledge of the Lord? I believe it is to provide hope through Christ Jesus. It is to provide hope through Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the only hope for all people to lean on. And he is a good king to lean on. A king who has wisdom, who has understanding, counsel, and might, and who rules righteously. That this shoot from the stump is pointing to Jesus. Because in that day, when Jesus comes again as king, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. For friends here that have not repented of leaning on anything that is not Jesus Christ, I implore you to consider trusting and leaning on Jesus. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above everything. You see, you might not realize that we are all going toward destruction because of our sinful nature, which predisposes us to selfish arrogance. Jesus Christ died on that cross to be a substitute for us to receive God's punishment. He was raised to life, defeating death. Now the Bible says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. This is how to begin our life leaning on Jesus. Believers, if you already are leaning on Jesus, do you have hope? Are you feeling hopeful? This picture of the future kingdom should allow us to be hopeful. Or are we frustrated with pain and with sorrow? Do we feel distress and in gloom? Are we maybe in darkness and in anguish? It is okay to struggle with these feelings. God knows. He does know. He has shown us the future to give us hope of a day when we will be free from these frustrations and be free from these struggles. Not only that, 
In the meantime, he has given us a spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel and might for the struggle that we face even today. And even more so, as we have seen God fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament of a king, it should give us even greater hope that he will fulfill his promise of this future kingdom. So we should move on to our last image for today. Isaiah chapter 11. Let's start at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remain of his people from all these nations and from the coastlands of the sea. Verse 12, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistine in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hands against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them, and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, he will lead people across in sandals, and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So the picture, the picture is a signal for the nation that this root of Jesse, a root that was hidden, will become a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a shoot that is visible. We know now that the shoot is Jesus, that between Jesus' first coming to die on the cross and defeat death, and his second coming to reign as king. He's gathering all his people from four corners of the earth. This is what he's doing now. God's people will work together, that this gathering will culminate with the remnant that remains of his people. So all of God's people, not just the Jews, but also the non-Jews, Gentiles, like many of us, all of us will be gathered. Everyone will lean on Jesus as their only hope. And just like the Israelite entering the promised land when they left Egypt, all of us will enter the new heaven and the new earth promised by God and be led by Jesus, our King. This is a picture of the signal which is Christ gathering the remnant, entering that final kingdom. So again, what is the purpose of this picture? It is raising a signal for the nations to gather and lean on Him. And I think more simply, the signal is to gather, to call the nations to Him. So for us, brothers and sisters, how can we be a part 
to relay that signal. To relay that signal. I believe this is God's call for every believer. He calls us to make disciples, and this is a way to relay that signal. As a way to shine that signal. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So maybe the question is, how are we at making disciples of Jesus Christ? As we think about our ministry inside the church and maybe outside the church, this should be the measuring stick. I think this is the measuring stick that we should use. How are we at making disciples? Am I bringing non-believers to come and become disciples of Christ? Or am I making younger disciples of Christ to be more, to become a more mature disciple of Christ? Am I bringing non-believers to become disciples of Christ? Or am I making young disciples of Christ to become more mature disciples of Christ? Maybe some of us feel like we are not qualified to make disciples. Either we are too young in our faith, or don't know enough about the Bible, or maybe we're struggling too much, or we just don't have time. Or simply put, I think those are all not good reasons. Now, each of us, we are disciples of Christ, and we should be discipling others. If you have been a Christian for many years, Maybe have you thought about how to make disciples of all nations? It talks about a signal to the nations in our verses. How do you share Christ's cross culturally? How do we share Christ culturally? We, we are a multicultural church. You, know, you can speak even here to another brother or sister of a different cultural background and ask, and you can ask if there are particular challenges to live out the gospel in their culture. I think that is something good that we can talk with each other about. Another thing you can do is maybe read a book on missions, how to make disciples cross-culturally. Now, Let the Nation to Be Glad by John Piper is one of my favorite uh, books on mission. Now, Jesus is a signal to the nation so that all will worship him. Maybe you're a young Christian, or maybe you're a new Christian. Have you thought about how to share with your non-Christian friends, and how to share with your families? Now, why did you become a Christian? That is something you can share. What signal did Jesus give you to draw you to himself? Another thing you can share about. Why was the gospel good news to you? There are many things that we can think about and can just share our experience. Why did you become a Christian? What signal did Jesus gave you to draw you to himself? Why was the gospel good news to you? Did you know that just sharing your story can be a part of making disciples? Others would like to hear how God is working in our lives. Another way to disciple I think in our church, just being 
aunties and uncles to children in our church. I think our children need to hear more about how God has worked in shaping our lives as well. Well, we'll conclude. Today, God gave us three pictures to encourage us to lean on Him. The first picture is a picture of a remnant of Israel that will lean on Him. Picture of a remnant of Israel that will lean on Him. The second picture is a picture of a righteous king to help us lean on Him. Picture of a righteous king to help us lean on Him. And thirdly, a picture of a signal to draw the nations to lean on Him. Picture of a signal to draw the nations to lean on Him. So, you probably still remember the lyrics I shared with you in the beginning for the song, Lean on Me. Well, I rewrote it, I think better to reflect truth from the Bible, and I titled it, Lean on Him. So here it is. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. But if we have Christ, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on Him when you are not strong, and He'll be your friend. He'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till we're going to need Christ Jesus to lean on. Please pray with me. Father, you tell us that we will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, we will draw water from the well of salvation, and we will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, all the inhabitants of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Father, it is our heart's prayer that indeed those are the things we will say in that day. And we will do it while leaning on your everlasting arm. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.